Okay, welcome back everyone. It's another episode of Information Revolution, which is a podcast about information and how we work with it. It's about the current state and how things are changing in our industry and also thinking about what might need to change. So I'm Michael Upton. I'm a director of MetaTaxis New Zealand based in Wellington. Uh, and my focus is on digital information management. Hi, and I'm Judy Verno. I'm also a director of MetaTaxis, also in, in the grey Wellington today, and I'm an information architect. Great, and my name's Carl Melrose. I lead business development and consulting for Leadership Through Data, an information management training company, and I'm based in Adelaide in Australia. Fantastic. All righty. So um, I thought we'd start today with just a couple of very quick stories. Everyone loves a little anecdote. Um, so one of them is about uh, a records team working in an organization who got some software and that software um, helped them to categorize all of their information, classify it and determine how long they needed to retain it for. And management saw that retention and disposal or disposition was basically off the table, it's done and dusted. And so they didn't renew some contracts and they let some people go because they didn't see that that team was doing much else. The second scenario had a conversation with a CIO who had just come out into a government agency. Uh, he didn't really understand what I was doing. Classic thing with information management. And he said that he'd been around his team and the people who reported to him looking for um, basically efficiencies and you know, it's code word for cost cutting. And he talked to the records person there and said, what do you do? And that person said, well, I'm responsible for ensuring that we comply with the Public Records Act 2005. And that CIO said to me, that guy's first against the wall, basically. He, he saw that this guy is being about compliance and thought, well, who cares? So I thought a really interesting topic, and it's kind of flowing from what we were talking about last time, thinking about what you can do with a stock take, what you might do with sort of the outputs of, you know, uh, working on information architecture, is what would you do in an information and records context if retention and disposal was off the table? So if you had sorted out retention and you didn't need to think about that anymore, what else, what else is your job about? Like, what else is it that you do? So well, we, I was going to say, we were saying in the last one that, yeah. well, I was <laughs> saying <laughs> about information flowing all the way through the organization and how it's really, it's it's what we do in government organizations. Um, and and lots of other ones, as, as you pointed out, most other ones, in fact. Um, but... The retention and disposal is what do we keep? What do we get rid of? But then how do we find it while we've got it? I mean, that's all part of working with it and using it and so on. How do we find it? And how well are your people finding what they need? That would be the big, big, big thing for me. What kind of issues do they have? What is it that they can't do that they want to do what can't they find why can't they find it how do they actually want to find it that's I would be spending quite a bit of my time finding out the answers to those questions so I could work out how to improve it in the here and now that's that's my four pennyworth on that mm. I am um, at the RIMPA conference this year I, I gave a presentation that um, 
the thinking really came out of, out of starting to address this question. You know, I called it Recovering the Strategic Power of Records Management, which is, you know, I, I thought was a pretty brave title for a records conference. Um, I'm actually repeating that for the IRMS as well um, in a couple of weeks, which will be interesting to see if it, if it plays differently for, you know, a group that's primarily in the UK versus mm. um, an Australian group. But yeah. the, the underlying thesis of that for me was that I, I feel like the, the the first story you told, I mean, you know, I, I did some work for that agency when I was with my with information proficiency, you know, my previous employer. Um, and they had completely equated records management with management of retention and disposition. And I feel like that's that that is the case in lots of agencies, lots yeah. of agencies, particularly yeah. as they've moved off paper. You know, I yeah. mean, if you've still got a lot of paper to manage, then people kind of get the records email that they deal with the paper. But other than that, it's kind of they manage this system and they deal with retention and disposition. But I mean, if I look at history, I feel like that's a, a detour that we've taken because of the archival institutions. You know, we, we've got these archival institutions that have been created and they regulate, you know, they, they capture 0.001% of all of the information created by public servants. That's all they're actually interested in. But they regulate all of it. And I feel like if I look at the history of these sorts of things, you know, people created records so that they could be organised and know what they were going to do. You know, if you were a government, you know, a thousand years ago, you know, you basically needed two things to be effective. You know, you needed an army and you needed records. And it was, you know, the army allowed you to exert your strategic power and your strategic influence. But the thing that actually allowed you to be organised about how you did it was was records. So, you know, if you wanted to make sure that you had paid your army correctly so that they didn't turn around and go, oh, you haven't paid us. So now we're going to come back in that castle we just took and gave to you. We're going to take it back and we're going to give it to someone else. Um, but that kind of thing was, you know... It was actually <laughs> records that let you do all of that. So, I mean, records was really how government were organised. And I think that we've lost that connection and we've become obsessed with some things that the archival institutions want us to do, which get us away from the core purpose of records, which is really to make sure that, you know, it's all the classic stuff that we talk about in some ways. It's, you know, how to make sure that people have the right information in the right place at the right exactly. time, the right level of quality. But mm. I, I think we've, I think we've become poor at, communicating how quality is tied to the results of the organisations that we work with. And that's what I'd spend all of my time on. If retention was off the table, I would spend all of my time going to parts of the organisation and saying, right, you know, as you said in the last podcast, Judy, you know, the government, which is where most, where I do most of my work, they're basically information processing businesses. You know, mm -hmm. that's pretty much what they exist to do. You know, there's permits and there's approvals and authorizations and there's funding grants, but it's generally taking some information, applying some rules to it and some discretion and saying, right, now money goes here, you, you are authorized to do this because of the power under this act. It's all of those kinds of things. Um, so where are we having poor results in those processes and how do we connect the quality of the information we're getting to it? And you know, I mean, the way I talk about that, I use the DICAR model, which is straight out of the information management body of knowledge. You know, it's data, information, knowledge, actions and results. And it's simply your results, you know, uh, you get your results through taking action. So the quality of your action influences the quality of your results. Um, you know, knowledge, which is really a, a decision making function, you know, deciding what actions to take, you know, influences which actions you take and your information impacts on the quality of your 
ability to use your knowledge, which is the ability of you to take action and your ability to achieve results. And I'd spend all of my time talking to parts of the organization about that and helping them say, right, how do we specify the information so that, you know, you balance, you get the right balance of cost and um, quality in your process. And, you know, if you've specified your information this way, said this is the spec for this process, well, you know, if you want to, and, you know, I know I'm talking too much at the moment, but, um, <laughs> you know, one, one agency that, you know, I've, I, I didn't end up doing some work with, but I did quite a bit of discovery work with a couple of years ago. You know, they had their um, they had their repository in one place, their records team in another place, and the team that was actually doing the processing work in another place. Now, if they wanted to get those records back to the people who were actually doing the process, the round trip by the time it went oh, from... Yeah. Yeah, I think I've talked about this before. You know, went from this off-site repository to the records team to unpack the box to send just the file they needed up to this processing team. You know, four days and 150 bucks. So, you know, you can sit there and you can say, we have the way our information is specified at the moment. And, you know, we may not have sat down and deliberately specified it that way, but that's the emergent specification means... We can't do anything in this process for less than 150 bucks and in less than four days. So if you want to do things like offer service over the phone in real time, well, we need to change the specification of that information. Yeah. And that's yeah. a, like, like those are really meaningful things. You know, I mean, if you're dealing with, you know, some kind of claims management for health, I mean, if somebody has to wait a week for, you know, for you to approve a claim, I mean, that can, I mean, people can die in a week, you know. Of course, they, they, they can die waiting for that kind of thing to happen. That's an extreme case, but, you know, you could die, you could have your have a, a critical surgery delayed, you know, all because of a, a, a function of, of the quality of your information. So that's a very long-winded way of saying that's what I would spend my time on. I'd spend all of it on the quality of the information and how that impacted the results and all the projects we could do around that to specify the information, improve the specification, improve the results of the organisation. Or well, you know what? We might even find that we've overspent on a process and that the results we're getting are better than, than we need. So, you know what? We can stop paying for this business system and, you know, still have an appropriate level of quality. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Michael, I'm going to stop talking for a while. <laughs> Throw over <laughs> you now. <laughs> Absolutely fine. It's, it's really good stuff. And, I mean, I would really... Mostly just echo that kind of thing. I suppose um, I'd note that when we have been talking in previous episodes, we really, we really haven't talked about retention very much. We really haven't talked about how, for instance, doing a stock take and then deciding what you want to do with that. You know how that relates to retention. I mean, it, obviously requirements might come up in the course of a stock take, but um, a lot of it is about um, quality, and a lot of it's about thinking about processes and improving processes. Um, but understanding what um, what kind of information, yeah, specification or quality or, you know, what, what are the characteristics of the information that would allow you to do your processes well, basically, and do, you, do your job, you know, do your business well. Um, so for me, I guess, I mean, the main thing I would be looking to do if I wasn't, you know, if I didn't have to talk about retention is actually just really focusing on the here and now. Like that's the key thing I'd be saying is actually looking for those really short term um, problems that are hitting the workers right now um, and seeing how that then translates into those outcomes that we were talking about last time, those real world outcomes related to 
basically trying to deliver a service in government. Um, so for me, that's that's um, part of something, uh, you know, it's a phrase that we've definitely all talked about before, I'm not sure in this podcast so far, but the idea of establishing a virtuous cycle. So the kind of reverse of a vicious circle, um, the idea that basically by doing good that your internal customers see, then, you know, you're establishing this kind of um, uh, basically increased goodwill with your internal customers. They're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I like I like talking to those folks. And yeah. they, sort, they sort my stuff out. You know, they help me. Um, help. And, yeah, they help. They don't they don't um, wave a stick. Or, or, I mean, you know, like I think a lot of records people understand that there's no great love in, you know, discussing compliance with people. But... It's a question of like, what's what's what else should I be doing? And for me, it's like, well, how can I help that person with their job today, um, and and sort of try and shift that focus away from thinking long term. Like I think in the background in our work, that always ought to be there, and there's really really important reasons why that needs to be there. But um, but in terms of my interactions with people and my conversations with people, I'm thinking about well, you know, what is it that I can do that's actually a current business problem you know, and that I can fix it by by helping them to basically change how information is being managed in their area. I love that I love that you said that. I I I, I Thank feel you, like Cal. that <laughs> Um but no I, I think that, that long term thinking piece. I, yeah. I I talk to so many people who just they love to think about the, you know, they've come up through the through a through an archival study, you know, kind of track or something like that, and they yep. they love the historical value piece of it, and they really believe in that. But yeah. how do you how do you get to it, you know? And I think you know, you, I think you just nailed it. I mean, I think you get to it by focusing on the short term and the here and now. Yeah, and I, um, I mean, why I wanted to introduce that story at the start about the CIO saying, "Oh, well, I'm going to let this guy go because he's talking about compliance," is because, oh, you know, you kind of build up your little reservoir of anecdotes from around you know, around the traps, and I've never heard someone say, "I explained to my management about the value of compliance, and then I got more resources, or you know, then my job got <laughs> yeah, better." Yeah, yeah, you know, and and sure, there might be some exception. I'd love to hear from people if you're listening to this and you're like, "Yeah, yeah." Compliance really works in my area, but I think even if it did work, I'd, I'd be nervous you're putting yourself in that kind of model of funding that's based around risk and, and you know, model of funding where you're like, cool, we'll, we'll, we'll plug gaps until we're happy with compliance and then we'll let you go, you know, yeah. which is which is really dangerous yeah. way of working. Whereas if you are in a position where it's like, oh, that team over there, they're cranking and we love them. And, uh, you know, the conversation around sort of funding and resourcing ought to if not disappear, but, you know, you basically ought to have more stability in your work. Like, no one goes, oh, we'll let go of the finance team. Oh, maybe they do these days, but they shouldn't. <laughs> they shouldn't. They shouldn't. <laughs> I was just thinking about automation and how people get overexcited about the idea we'll just automate everything and people can leave. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway. Yeah. I mean, so compliance is a cost you minimise. Compliance is a cost you minimise, right? Yeah, ultimately, perfect. you know. I mean, if you want yep. to create that virtuous cycle that you're talking about, you don't create it by with through compliance because, huh. you know, compliance has a really nice, you know, generally has a really nice bar of, okay, now we're done. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know, you may never quite get there, but you know, done enough gets done a lot in a lot of organisations. The the irony of actually this conversation, in some ways, is that I I feel like I've been trying to talk to people about focusing away from compliance for the entire time I've been working with government. At exactly the same time, when I when I'm also talking to, I was talking to, but when when you put the the when you suggested the topic for this podcast, I um I had a chat to a friend of mine at a bank and was just talking to her about what we were doing and and she was saying, oh look, you know, yeah, I, in government, yeah, maybe, but you know, in in the bank where I am at the moment, I mean, compliance is actually that that's why we're here, you know, we've got a compliance issue and you know, yeah. she but was saying a- that. It's a different kind of compliance, isn't it? Sorry, no, no, it is retention-focused compliance. They're actually having regulators come and whack them for keeping things too long. Excellent. Which is, yeah, I know, that's exactly what I, I was completely surprised. Amazing. But I also, I mean, I guess that is what, if you look at um, privacy legislation. Yeah, I was about to say that, yeah. Well, I'll shut up then, Judy, because you've got a much smarter point <laughs> no, of view on it than I, was, I do. I was just thinking compliance relating to l- less financial information. But, of course, if you're talking in the banking sector, then that's very important. But, yeah, personal information, that's also very high profile. You know, the whole GDPR stuff in Europe and, you know, firms are getting are getting fined huge amounts of money. So mm. in that way, compliance is a big thing in that respect. But when you think about the Public Records Act in New Zealand and people not complying with it, it's not quite the same thing, really. They won't won't turn up and enforce it. So, you know, I mean, nobody, no bank in Australia laughs at Austrack anymore. You know, Austrack is the Australian Transaction Reporting and Analysis Centre, I think. Basically, it's the the counter-terrorism financing and anti-money laundering um, regulator here. So they're the regulator. Yeah. They are the reg- and you know they, you know one of the things that they do is you know if you if you've got transactions on if you're a bank and you've got transactions on an ATM that are ten thousand dollars or over you need to report that to Austrack, and mm. I I don't know the specifics of it but there are a couple of banks here that they find you know they find one seven hundred and eighty five million dollars for not for not reporting which you know those are records you know you didn't mm. provide mm. the records that you should have. Yeah. You know, they find one bank seven hundred and eighty-five million dollars, and they find another one. Uh, I think it was three hundred and something million dollars. And you know, I mean, nobody is saying to those regulators, "We're not going to comply with your stuff." <laughs> no, no doubt, no doubt. No, but but exactly. I guess um, I mean, the thing I'd really want to emphasise is that I don't um. Like, you know, I, I see the value in compliance. I mean, you know, I, I understand why certain legislation is in place around around records and so forth. And I think um, I'd, I'd never, I'd never sort of try and put people off caring about that stuff. Like, I do, I do find that stuff really important. I just um, think that whether you want to say tactically, strategically, whatever, that in terms of our our profession and actually. Um, creating these virtuous cycles and actually establishing relationships and trust and so on and so on. Like, I don't think you can lead with compliance, um, you know, or it has to always, no. there always has to be an and, you know. So mm. so if we wind it all the way back around to what you first said, Judy, about um, like findability being something yeah. that you would be focused on. I mean, nor- normally compliance in the, in the record space um, will certainly have an aspect of access, you know, the idea sure. of access to your records. 
but um, maybe this is tying things together with what Carl said about quality and so on. You're not, you know, you're not specifying from a kind of day-to-day -day sort of business and operational angle what access might mean, and you're certainly not focused normally on um, your own sort of staff requirements. Um, if 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 you're just talking compliance, you know, access is much more about. Um, providing the information if asked and you know making sure it's in a nice format but but in a very very vague way um and 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 it really is that flavor of sort of just enough to make mm. sure that you know you can tick it off rather than um going right well in this specific circumstance we need to be able to find the information this way in order to be able to turn the service around and um you know in a certain time frame or within yeah. a certain context like for instance from home you know like those kinds of things um, or, you know, just whatever the geographic location, you know, that might be one of the specifications that has to be able to be done from anywhere. Um, you know, and, and then that level of quality, uh, I mean, it, sound, it sounds stupid, but it just it clearly delivers more value than just saying, yes, we've met some compliance benchmark because you're able to say, we've considered the outcome of this and determined that what we need in order to get the outcome we want, uh, you know, looks like this and has these certain criteria so yeah i i think things like official information um act requests are things that are quite good examples of the need for all of those things that you we've all just said you know the findability mm. the quality the how much time is it you know the whole process and and just at, at the kind it's of lowest FOI in australia sorry oh yeah. FOI. yeah, or well, actually, it's not just FOI. It's Gipper in New South Wales, and okay. it's, oh. uh, uh, something else. RT, it's R RTI in Queensland, and okay. it's yeah, it's wow. But getting yeah, information out of government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. just thinking that from the process point of view, um, I've seen so many different ways of of handling them. Just recording, you know, it's come in. You record it. You deal with it. Uh, hopefully. You know, and then you record that you've you've done it. Um, lots of different ways of doing that. Some of which just take stupid amounts of time and are very inefficient. So that's one kind of information flow. But then you've got all the other people who need to be probably need to be involved in finding the information that's going to answer that request and how inefficient those processes can be. Can they find it? You know, what is how easy is it to find the stuff? that you need in order to comply with that request. So there's compliance in there. There's the time that's spent, you know, lots and lots of time. Mm -hmm. If you want mm -hmm. to be able to make that faster, more efficient, then you really need to think about all of those aspects about your processes and findability. Mm. And that's, you know, you could save so much time and effort and, and give the public a better outcome. So it's kind of a little example that, that sums up so many things and quality too, of course. You know, what mm. is the quality mm. of that response? It kind of sums up so many things that can go horribly wrong. Mm, for sure, for sure. And and another thing that I really like about that example is that it's something that most any kind of a government department or agency or authority has to do. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, so yes. it's, a, it's a standard. It's exactly. A, it ought to be a standard process in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the the problem with it though too is that I I think that, you know, I, I I see the value in talking about 
you know, GIPA, RTI, FOI, whatever we're calling it. I think the challenge with that process, though, is that the scope is really wide. And so I think trying to develop findability for that process, um, it, you know, it can I, – I think I've – I think that's a, a an interesting process, but I mean, I, I, it's not routine. If you know what I mean, you know, FOI requests are not a routine thing. Sure. Getting the request is a, there's a routine there, well, but then what you go and do after that, where you look. I mean, is do you feel like? I, I, I don't feel like if you had to if you had to specify the inputs and outputs for that process, they it would be an extremely wide specification. Right, and that's because true. because. Yeah, you ordinarily would have kind of one bit of the organisation that does the overall management and they then normally have to go and engage with relevant business areas and then those business areas do different things based on basically the structure of their records and information. They do, but they're working, they're all working within one domain, as it were. They're working mm -hmm. within one set of subject matter Um so there ought to, it ought to be possible to put findability tools in place that will help that. I mean, obviously, mm, sometimes yeah, with an FOI, you're trying to find this piece of information, this statistic. And mm. sometimes you're just going, I need to know everything that you guys know about this. Mm. And mm. those are very different searches, if you like, ways yeah. of trying to find stuff. But you need to have the tools in place that support that. I mean, nice. it's almost a it's almost a good barometer process, isn't it? Because if your you know if yeah. your FOI requests you yeah. know, come into your agency and they're dealt with really quickly, then you can probably sit back and say our information must be extremely findable. <laughs> yeah, fair, That's a ter yeah. terrible terminology. Um, That's, yeah. Easy to find. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, um, I, I think we're well and truly at time. Okay. Um, and as much as I would love to continue this conversation, um, I think we, I think in the interest of you know keeping everybody awake, we should uh, we, 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 we should we, we should wrap up. Um, nice. So, hey, well, I'd like to wrap up by just um, saying we got some lovely feedback from uh, someone who said that she's just quite new in her profession and that she really enjoyed hearing about the connection between information architecture and information management to the extent that she felt that there should be more about that if you're actually getting, uh, you know, studying that stuff academically. So I thought, you know, that's really nice. It's really great to hear that. So if anyone else has any feedback, <laughs> but including things that you'd like to hear about or things that we haven't done, then love to hear from you. Likewise, we're always looking for guests. So we're going we're gonna to feed that into the format uh, down the track. So please sing out if you're interested. Cool. Thanks, Michael. Us. Thanks very much. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Judy. See you Cheers. next time. See ya. Bye.